Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC FM, and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Joanne Berger-Sweeney. She is the 22nd president of Trinity College in Hartford and a professor of neuroscience. Good morning to you. Good morning, Aaron. Thank you so much for inviting me to the show. I thought we would start with just uh, talking a little about the coronavirus pandemic and how Trinity is navigating the semester so far. Right. So... I am pleased to say at the moment, we're navigating as well as we can. Um, We spent a lot of time over the summer coming up with testing protocols, um, figuring out the distance between chairs in the classroom, such that we were as prepared as we could possibly be for the start of the semester. I think the hallmarks of being able to reopen well are one, our faculty pivoted on a dime and have really embraced the ability to teach in hybrid fashion, online, as well as some in person. So flexibility. The fact that so many members of our staff and community came together to figure out the right frequency of testing and how to make sure that we could keep our community as safe as possible. We test our students, all of our students, both those on campus as well as off campus, you know, that are that are close to campus twice a week as well as our staff once a week. And then we went through the entire physical facility and put down, you know, six foot signs, directing traffic this way and that way. And it's really a lot of people coming together to make this reopening work as well as it has. We've been hearing a lot about pods in higher education among residential students. Is that what is happening at Trinity as well? Um, No, we actually did not decide to go the pod method. We thought it was important that each and every student have an individual room that they could go to at the end of the day. So we actually limited the number of people on campus by how many individual single rooms that we had. So 
that we don't have to think about a pod because you're really only supposed to take off your mask when you go individually behind closed doors in your own room. Overall, do you get the sense that students are taking mask wearing and other precautions seriously? Yes. And if they were not, we would know pretty quickly um, through our, our testing regime. I heard recently from our Dean of Student Life that we have more than 94% compliance of students who are coming in um, and taking their test. And if they don't, they get an email or a call, say, coming in, you know, to say, come in the next morning. So I have actually been pleased with the compliance. You know, no one's perfect, but I think it shows that our community truly values each other and we're trying to keep each other safe and also our neighbors. So I have been pleased. It's not perfect, but I can assure you it doesn't feel like many of the stories that I see either on radio or in the newspaper of, you know, wild, uh, you know, parties where lots of students are getting together and breaking the rules. We have not seen that at Trinity College. What is the, the population on campus maybe compared to last year at this time? Right. So um, generally we have about 1,900 students on campus. Um, our general population is about 2,100, but you know, students are doing study away or, or, or various activities. So generally we have 1,900 students on campus. This semester we have about 1,700 students on campus because that's how many single rooms we had. Now, switching gears a little bit, you are a neuroscientist. Tell us about the path that led you to the presidency at Trinity. Did you always have your sights set on administration or was it really the science? Oh, it was absolutely the science. And I wish I could tell you the moment that I wanted to be a scientist. But to be honest, I must have been so young. I actually don't have a memory of not wanting to be a scientist. It it was just one of those things that I thought was fascinating um, from pretty much the earliest age. Now, when I want to tell people a joke, I say that many members of my family were lawyers. And so when people asked me what I wanted to do, my standard answer was anything but a lawyer, you know? youngest kid. I wanted to be different. I wanted to do something else. And so science just seemed a very good, not lawyer thing to do. And I imagine when you were growing up, there weren't many role models of, you know, female scientists that you could really model yourself after. That's true. You know, I, I can't remember very many you know, black women scientists um, that I interacted with. But in my family, higher education was really important. So I had 
actually quite a few role models of educated Black people. And I also have told this story many, many times that my mother would wake me up every morning and whisper in my ear, you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. And therefore, if I wanted to be a scientist, there was really no doubt in my mind that it could happen. That is a a great message. Yeah. uh, You know, she just said, you know, you are smart. You can do anything you want to do. The thing that I will add, though, to that story is, um, and it was also at my mother's encouragement that I went to Wellesley College, which is an all women's college, as, as you may know. And there was something about being in an environment of smart, unapologetic women, many of them that I interacted with in my classes who were scientists that provided that incubator environment that ensured me that I could do this if it was something that I wanted to do. So, you know, even though I didn't have a lot of women science role models growing up, I did have people who encouraged me, who said I could do anything I wanted to do, who believed in the power of higher education and supported me to the point that when I went to undergraduate college and was surrounded by smart women and other women, and some of them were black, who wanted to be scientists and, you know, physicians. And, you know, that what the combination of the two, I think, were just the right support system for me to want to continue on in science. Was it a bit of a culture shock after you left Wellesley into a a co-ed environment in higher education? (laughs) That's that's a really great question, Erin. And and I'm going to answer that yes. Um, I I, I first got a master's in public health at, at UC Berkeley. And I worked for a couple of years, and then I went back to do a PhD in neurotoxicology, the study of poisons, at Johns Hopkins University. And during my first year at Johns Hopkins, most of the courses that I took were with medical students, you know, probably no surprise, uh, you know, given how medically oriented, um, you know, Johns Hopkins is, at least at the graduate level. And I seem to be the only person that at the end of the first semester said, hey, have you noticed that we haven't had any female professors? And the other women in the class hadn't even noticed. So perhaps the culture shock that I was laughing about was being in in the Wellesley College environment, having seen so many women as my professors, I noticed the difference when I went to Johns Hopkins in the mid 80s. 
and the relative lack of women on the teaching staff. And many of my female peers simply hadn't noticed. They just simply took it for, for, uh, for, you know, that's the way it is. Exactly. So, so that may have been the little bit of culture shock. And while I was there doing my PhD, um, I think two women became, you know, tenured professors in the school of, of medicine and public health. So, you know, I got to see change while I was there, but I did notice it when I first came, how different it was. From the, the mid-80s when you were at Johns Hopkins to now, I gather you've seen that change progress, but has it gone far enough, would you say? I know women and women of color in particular are still very underrepresented in the STEM fields. Absolutely. So it's clear it has not gone far enough. Um, and, you know, I try and think about why. And there, there are many... There are many reasons why probably women and particularly women of color are underrepresented. Um, one, it's there are not sufficient role models. You know, two, very often women are not encouraged in particular in science, but sometimes just in higher education in general. And you will see that there are studies that for some periods of time, women being in a primarily female environment and learning in that environment actually encourages more of them to become scientists. And I am a actually a big advocate that it's that that single sex education can work for certain periods of time in people's lives. I absolutely believe in coeducation. I believe that my single sex education prepared me well to be in an environment like Trinity College, which is co-ed, and in fact had a history of 140 years of being a male institution. So I'm not saying that I think every single institution or that a person should have all of their training in a single sex environment, but sometimes for a limited period, it really is an environment that will allow women to flourish and and um, blossom, and often remind themselves it's okay to be smart. That that's how I felt when I went to college. Oh my goodness, it's okay to be a smart woman. I don't have to hide anything or shy away or not put my hand up when a question is asked. And sometimes it's that level of confidence that an encouragement that women need to become scientists. And, and everything that I think I'm saying about gender, I think you could also say about race and hence the intersection of being a black female means that some of the stereotypes that you hear about, um, you know, the lack of support for women or the lack of support for people of color, 
yes, it is an intersection of the two when you are a Black woman who is interested in becoming a scientist. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Dr. Joanne Berger-Sweeney. She is the 22nd president of Trinity College in Hartford and a professor of neuroscience. Do you feel that you have had to work harder to get to where you are than, say, if you were a Caucasian male? I, even though I've never been a Caucasian male, (laughs) so it may be hard for me to answer it, but, um, but I, I think the answer is yes, it, it's hard Um, because first you have to gain credibility and then once people accept, oh, You know, she's not here just because they were looking for a female or just because they were looking for a person of color. But, you know, that I I feel like sometimes it took a while to get past some of those prejudices and barriers to then be on equal footing with um, my male colleagues to then be able to, to kind of show my my intellectual chops. Now, with that in mind, what would your advice be to that little girl who wants to grow up to become a scientist? Right. So, you know, one thing that I haven't spoken a lot about here is the importance of mentorship. People who are not just giving you a hand but people who are really willing to be your advocates. And I was fortunate enough to have so many mentors and advocates in my life. And some of them were white males. Um, You know, my graduate school dissertation advisor, Joe Coyle, who then went on to become um, chair of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School after he was at Johns Hopkins, supported me continually in my quest to become a scientist. And and I'll share with you a brief story. Um, So I was at Johns Hopkins and I needed to get some work done in the pathology division. They did a lot of um, photographs for us, you know, developing um, pictures of, um, you know, sections and and, um, slices of brains. You know, I did a lot of that kind of work when I was in graduate school. And I went down to the pathology department to leave some slides that I needed photographed. And then I came back upstairs and someone from the pathology department knew that I had come from Dr. Coyle's lab and called up to his office and said, you know, who was the little black girl who was down here leaving some slides? I guess, you know, in my mind, I had been slighted more than once, you know, in my life. I brushed it off. When Dr. Coyle heard the story, he was livid. He called 
the chair of the pathology department at Johns Hopkins and said, if you ever refer to Dr. Sweeney, that was my maiden name, as that little black girl, you need to be looking for a new job. So sometimes to make it, you need people to stand up for you even when you can't stand up for yourself. And this happened to be a white male who thought it was inexcusable that I was called this little black woman. Um, And he actually conferred the title doctor on me just a little bit before I had my PhD. <laughs> you know, so he knew I was going to get through. But from that point on, every time I went to the pathology department, I was treated with dignity and grace. And I don't I can't I can't even thank him enough for supporting me when I was just brushing it off and maybe didn't even recognize that it had probably hurt and pained me in a way. I just kind of was filing it away, but he was there to stand up for me even when I couldn't myself. So even advocating for yourself, it's really helpful to have other advocates Mm -hmm. as well. Absolutely. And I love to tell people that he wasn't just a mentor when I was in graduate school, but has continued to follow my career. Um, We speak often. And he was one of the people who wrote a letter of recommendation for me for the job that I have now as president of Trinity College. So when you have an advocate They just don't mentor you for a little bit of time or in a very narrow window. These are people who, as they see opportunities, you know, come up, say, oh, you know, I think Joanne could do that. And he continues to put my name forward in important arenas, um, you know, as I continue my career. So that's what an advocate will do for you. And I think that you know, what I would say to little girls is, you know, look out for those people who are willing to support you and actually advocate for you to get to the next stage. I've tried to do that with other women. I I wish I could quadruple myself and do more, um, but it's so, so important. Having that early encouragement As I said, sometimes it's someone else standing up for you, even when you can't stand up for yourself. In our final couple of minutes, with your background in public health, I am curious to hear how you think we are doing as a nation handling the current pandemic we're in. Um. You know, I think I have to support what uh, Dr. Fauci and so many people are saying we could do better. We know and understand the importance of wearing masks, of social distancing, of not just flattening the curve, but actually decreasing the curve of COVID infections. We need national policies. Um, We can't address something as massive as COVID 
with state by state by state policies. Our borders, our state borders are leaky. We need national policies, national reinforcement of what is safe to be able to care for ourselves and to be able to serve as the model that the United States should serve for the rest of the world. We could be doing a lot better than we're doing now. And that's my humble opinion as a public health expert. She is Joanne Berger Sweeney, the 22nd president of Trinity College in Hartford and a professor of neuroscience. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciated um, the opportunity to share my views. Thank you so much for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.